Okay, everyone, and welcome back to the Brave Parenting Podcast. Got a very exciting show for you today. We're going to be reviewing a book that I and actually another a friend of mine um, spent the summer reading and walking through with 10 high school girls. The book is called You Are Not Enough, and That's Okay. It's written by Allie Beth Stuckey. The subtitle is Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. And you may not think that self-love is a big topic, maybe in your own life or maybe in your daughter's lives, but it's very pervasive in the culture. And so I really think that it's important as parents who are trying to raise kids amongst uh, media and technology with this biblical worldview, it's important for us to have an idea of what this is and really kind of how it goes against scripture. So while I can give you my perspective from uh, my 42-year-old self, I think that it really won't do it justice. I won't give it um, what it deserves. So I've invited a few girls from my summer Bible and book study group to join me, with, join me today. I'm super excited to have them and start this conversation. So Ashlyn and Brenna, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you girls tell me, uh, tell everyone else a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Ashlyn Plank and I'm 15 and I'm a sophomore in high school. And some hobbies are mine are I play soccer, I like to play the piano, and I love to read. Awesome. Thanks, Ashlyn. And Brenna? Um, my name is Brenna. I'm a sophomore, and I swim year-round. Year-round. That's true. You do swim year-round. And you just turned 16 and got your driver's license. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. That's a big deal. All right. So, girls, let's go ahead and talk about this book, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay. And this book is centered around five myths in our culture that really the book wants to kind of combat in order to help women, especially young Christian women. So before we jump into these five myths or lies, I just want to ask, like, so before, when we picked this book, did you guys have any ideas about this whole idea or notion of self-love? Had you heard of it? You know, was it something that was kind of on your radar? Well, before reading the book, I definitely heard of it because it's all over social media, but I never really thought of it as anything bad. I kind of always thought it as like accepting who you are and appreciating it, but not in a self-loathing or self-obsessed kind of way. But I thought it was like just kind of there and didn't really kind of around. Like it was everywhere. Like it was neutral, maybe? Yeah, because you hear about it a lot, but I didn't really think much about it. And I thought it would be helpful because the title makes you wonder. <laughs> so I think with a title like that, it had to have some kind of strong supporting to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that that's true. When we when we chose it, we were all kind of like, well, it sounds good, right? And even I didn't really know until I read it, just the whole, the depth, I think, of that toxic culture of self-love. So let's go ahead and jump in to myth number one. So the first one is you are enough. And this is sort of the foundation of everything. Allie Beth Stuckey says that this is the subtle lie being told to women by our culture of this self-love. She explains the logic goes, because you are complete and perfect and sufficient all on your own, you don't need anyone else to love you in order to be content. All you need is yourself. So girls, why is this a myth? Um, I think this one's a myth because the world tells you that you're enough. And then when the world is telling you one thing and you feel overwhelmed by everything else in the world, you kind of feel out of control. And by being told you're enough, it's kind of setting yourself up to be disappointed. Mm. And because in reality, we're not enough for ourselves, families, friends, everything else. But the point of it is while we're not enough, Jesus is. 
Mm-hmm. So because Jesus is enough, we don't have to be because there's no way we will ever be enough for anyone or everything. Right. Because you can tell yourself all day long, wait, I'm enough. I'm enough. I can do this. I can do this. But when you are overwhelmed and like, I love your words, you said feeling out of control. You think, why? what's wrong with me? Why, why am I not enough? Right. And then it becomes like a, a whole nother cycle of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So part of this lie of you are enough is this cult of self-affirmation, Ali Beth Stuckey calls this. And one of you, I'm just curious if you can describe what this cult of self-affirmation is for young people today, and maybe how you see this self-affirmation playing out in your high school or in your peer groups. One of the big things I see in high school is everyone has their own truth and that everyone believes themselves to be right. So if I, what I say doesn't line up with what you believe, it becomes judgmental or toxic because I don't 100% believe, 100% believe what you think. And that's when you feel as if you have to tiptoe around conversations because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And it's just kind of difficult. Um, I think that it's really seen in high school and just any teenagers. And because you can see so many friendships have ended just because someone disagreed with the other and decided it was toxic because they didn't think the same way. And a lot of people hold themselves like higher because they're, they're just right. And anyone tries to challenge it, it's just like, no, I'm always going to be right. So it's this idea that, yeah, they're always right. And I just affirm myself. I don't need you basically to affirm me. Kind of going back to that idea that you are, you are all you need. You don't need anyone else. So I don't need you to affirm me. I'm just going to affirm myself. I know that I'm right. And that really can kind of come across as pretty narcissistic. So moving on to myth number two is you determine your truth. And Ashlyn, you kind of touched on this already. I think this myth is so pervasive right now in culture. It's this idea that there is no absolute objective moral truth, that each and every one of us claim our own version of truth based on personal feelings and opinions. So it's the Bible is no longer the objective standard. It's your truth is you, my truth is mine. And so before reading this, had you seen this idea kind of happening um, amidst your school and peer groups? I definitely have experienced this with a friend of mine. I was sharing my view on a controversial topic, says gay relationships, and she disagreed with my view. But her argument was that loving the same sex isn't hurting anyone if you love them and then it makes it all right. But the question I raised was, who makes these truths? Because we all have different perspectives, so who decides who's right and who's wrong? And she really didn't have an answer for me, but because since we, she didn't believe in God's word, we don't have the same mm-hmm. right set of truths that we can always count on, which is the Bible. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a very common thing, I think, that um, we're all seeing, not only as um, maybe high schoolers, but as adults. It's very much like, what is it hurting you? If that can be my truth and it doesn't hurt anybody else, then I can just believe what I want to believe. I can believe that this is okay. And who are you to judge me? Um, I think that a lot of these ideas are even perpetuated um, through social media. Do you guys see this? That maybe there's like a certain social media platform, one more than another, um, that are sort of promoting this idea of multiple truths or you define your own truths? Not specifically, but just people reposting things that have to do with like what they think is their own truth. 
and just there's a lot of conflicting ideas out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can kind of see that in, as adults. I mean, whether it be political or really anything, it seems right now, <laughs> everybody has their own opinion and their own opinion becomes truth. So I'm sure that you guys probably see that a lot of a lot of opinions, but then people become pretty divisive over their own opinions. Is that what you would probably say you see a lot of? Yes. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, as parents, it's really important to talk about that objective versus subjective truth with our teenagers. Um, A lot of teenagers I'll talk to don't even realize that there's a difference, that subjective is kind of opinion and objective is something that's proven. Um, What we would, of course, as Christians would say is the truth of God's word and always reminding ourselves that we have to ask that question when we are approaching a difficult topic. Well, what does God's word say? That should be the first place that we always go to is what does God's word say about this topic or that topic when we're unsure? So I think this, this chapter I thought was, um, was really good. And it, it really goes into um, a lot in depth. It's actually a huge chapter. We don't, can't even possibly talk about all of it. Um, she talks about the cancel culture as well as abortion and social justice. And it, it really is in depth in how much we can believe non-truths or um, maybe twisted truths out in the world. So um, I definitely recommend that all parents and, and your daughters to kind of take on this topic together. Okay, but moving on to myth number three. This myth says you're perfect just the way you are. And this sort of is referred to as this trendy narcissism. And I believe that this lie really hits home for women my age, maybe the moms out there who are trying to succeed as mothers and wives and and businesswomen. And, you know, we've lived long enough to feel our mistakes and recognize the loss of our youthful features every time we look in the mirror. So it can feel really good to say, you know what, I am still perfect. It's all good. Um, But what, what would you guys think as teenagers? How would you describe this myth of you're perfect just the way you are? What I've seen with a lot of girls today is their appearance is everything to them. Yeah, there's some that are obsessed about their weight, but I feel like the majority don't actually struggle with their weight as much as their looks and clothes. Because when we say, I am perfect the way I am, we want everyone to reassure us and say, yes, you look super pretty today. And while that can give us a blissful second of happiness, in a few hours it leaves you feeling empty again and still seeking others' approvals. And this insecurity just gets you going in a circle of Mm -hmm. self-loving and it's hard to escape. Right. And it's not just social media approval, right? It's not just a like or something like that, or you look so pretty. But I'm assuming it's, it's in real life, too. You show up, and you've got maybe a nice, trendy, cute-looking outfit on, and you're expecting, right, to be complimented, to be affirmed. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you don't feel that way, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, maybe I'm not perfect. <laughs> uh-huh. Brenda, did you? Um, I would say that... I kind of think it's the basis of self-love almost because no like, matter what you struggle with, that you're perfect. It could be looks, abilities, smarts, or athleticism. No matter what you do, you're just amazing, and nobody can tell you otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of parents, we fall into that, maybe attrib- contributing to that because, you know, we hold up our sons or our daughters as, you know, in our eyes, you are perfect. You know, God made you, I raised you, and I think that, you know, you're awesome. Um, But when the world doesn't always affirm that, you know, there definitely comes a time when we need to also be realistic. I think 
not necessarily in a harmful or condemning way whatsoever, but knowing that out there, this sort of myth is, you know, you're perfect, you're perfect, you're perfect. You know, let's give you a trophy. Let's give you an award for participation. Um, that it really kind of sets this deep seed um, inside of our, our kids, especially our girls. I think it's really big with our girls. So do you think that this myth distracts people from coming to Christ or, you know, coming in faith, realizing the hope of salvation? If they're told they're perfect, well, what would I need Jesus for? Do you see any of that? I definitely think that when we focus on others' opinions of us, we lose sight of whose opinion really matters, which is God. And this perspective distracts from the salvation because if we think we are perfect the way we are, then we have no need for God. But in reality, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And because of sin, we will never be perfect. But yeah. a lot of people these days don't want to be told that there's something wrong with them, which is, I think, one of the big problems in our world today. Yeah. I think you really hit the nail on the head. And I know that I've had some conversations with you guys um, individually um, regarding maybe some friends who you're sharing the gospel with. And that, what you said is to realize that we're a sinner in need of a savior that's really lacking out there in the world is no one wants to be, to think of themselves as a sinner, right? Because what, wait, the world's telling me I'm perfect. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, they don't feel a need. Why would I need a savior when I'm perfect? I kind of said the same thing. Cause it, if you like not a believer, it can make you think, oh, I'm perfect, so why would I be a sinner? Why would I be a savior? Yeah, that's a that's a real big, that's a dangerous lie. And that's one that I think as as Christians, especially, you know, hoping to evangelize, hoping to see our friends come to Christ, that it, you really have to tackle this myth specifically because um, it's definitely out there. And it's not even something that most people are cognizant of. No one's going to say, I am perfect just the way that I am. Very rarely, right? But it's just this kind of, hidden belief that's driving their behaviors and driving their decisions. Yeah, awesome. they act like it. Maybe they won't say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because not many of us are going to say, oh, I'm perfect just the way I am. But it definitely um, is in- influencing a lot of, of their life choices. All right. So myth number four is you're entitled to your dreams. And this myth actually kind of makes me sad for young people today. Because, you know, as you grow up and launch into adulthood, it's, it's difficult, right? And we, of course, everybody wants to achieve their dreams, but somehow there's this gigantic reality, you know, that you actually have to work towards your dreams that are sort of being, it's being lost in the midst of social media and algorithmic feeds. All of that is that I can just have this dream and it's going to come to me. Like I can be famous on social media. All I have to do is post more or, you know, I can get this college degree, but I don't really have to study. I can go party or I can do this or I can kind of blow off high school. And really, and I know you guys know this because I know you guys are high achievers, (laughs) but it takes a lot of hard work to reach those dreams. And so this is really where this lie um, lies is, is this idea of entitlement. It means that you don't have to work or do anything in order to earn what you desire just by existing you deserve it. So am I wrong in this? Are you seeing this entitlement of I deserve what I want just because I exist? Are you seeing that in high school? Um, I say I see it, but it's not as obvious. And I could probably be guilty of this one too. But entitlement to me seems like taking the easy way out or finding something that doesn't take as much work to get to the same goal. You can, it's easily seen in school 
because people like pretend to be friends with others in order to get like homework answers. Mm. But they're like, oh, since they're my friend, they're just going to give it to me. So I don't have to work and try to understand it myself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, that cheating was kind of the first thing that popped in my mind is, you know, I'm entitled to your answers just because I'm your friend. That would kind of be how that lie would play out. Mm-hmm. So now both of you are athletes. Ashlyn, you play soccer. Brenna, you, as you said, are a year-round swimmer. So I know that you ladies understand the value of working and training hard for your sport. So how does your faith in Christ motivate you in your work and in your training? Is there an internal battle wrestling with a desire for fame or praise that you deserve something because you're working this hard? <laughs> well, I definitely think it's a cliche thing, but always definitely working when no one is watching because there's so many people who just slack off when coach isn't watching, but then the minute the coach decides to start watching, they pretend to be work hard and be a good example. And I feel like it's so easy to slack off because when they're not watching you, there's no one to hold you accountable. But I think this goes along with our faith because you want to be a good leader even when no one else is watching because there's always someone watching and someone mm-hmm. can making opinions on you and saying, oh, she's a good person. Oh, she has some strong faith to work even when no one else is watching. Yeah, absolutely. Brenna? Um, my sport's kind of not really a team sport, so it's very mind having to do with your mindset. So I kind of see a lot, especially in my teammates and within myself, that you get like distracted and worried about every little thing. But then you got to remember that it's all God's plan, and that's what kind of motivates me. My thinking of verses like Philippians four thirteen and Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Those kind of help a lot. But for me, I kind of don't think there's really an internal battle for fame because it's not as one of those sports that, like, you need to be on top, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And I kind of just like being, like, having my people I'm close with knowing I've done something, but not outside. That's awesome. I love that humility that you guys have. Um, of course, you know, we know that not everyone has this, but as Christ followers, that's exactly Uh, Where we really want to be is, you know, keeping our eyes on Christ as we do this, doing it not just when coach is watching, but because everything that we should do, we should do for the glory of God. Um, So I love that. I love that very much for you girls. All right. Okay. Moving on to myth number five. And this one says that you cannot love others until you love yourself. And I think this really circles back to this like kind of cult of self-affirmation and the self-love core tenets. And it's this idea of loving yourself. It isn't because everybody hates, you know, everybody hates themselves. They need to focus more on themselves because if we're honest, we already focus on ourselves way too much, even as Christians. Um, This myth is more about promoting a constant focus on self. It's this never looking up or looking away from ourselves and our needs to see the real world or to see the needs around you. And, you know, maybe you are serving or volunteering in a different way because you see a need that needs to be met. Um, Maybe it just means taking your focus off of yourself and your own um, self-growth so that you can date or marry or even have children, which isn't really where you guys are at right now. But the, the chapter really does kind of talk about this. So 
which is why I think this book is really good, even for, and especially for college age students. But um, at, at 15, so were you guys 15, 16, did you guys see like is this myth impacting you? This um, you can't love others until you love yourself. Did you, did you see that in your life? Yes, hundred percent. In the high school environment, it's it's so easy to get sucked up in the selfish culture because it's so normal to everyone that everything has to be about you, your grades, your friends, how you're feeling, and it's a constant everyday battle to not live like that. Because when everyone is living like they're the center of the universe, it's hard not to say, "Hey, I deserve that." the same thing as they do. And putting others first is so anti-cultural that it'll make you stand out from everyone else. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think it's very much of, um, it's just, again, it's a subtle lie that no one's going to say, very few people are going to say out loud, I can't love you until I love myself, you know? But it it yeah. so subtly happens and it influences, you know, how you're spending your time. You know, I need I need a night for self-care instead of hanging out with your friends or instead of helping your friend do something or, or, and it's, it's those subtle choices that really is where this, I think this myth is, is lying. Brenna, did you have anything on that one? Um, I was going to touch on that more of the, I want to do this, but someone else needs me kind of thing. Like when you're not feeling it, you're really drained, you're really tired and someone needs you like you think you need to like take time for yourself instead of going to them, even when you're not feeling like that, which is something that I think probably everyone I age struggles with because of how like busy we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was, I can also see a lot in relationships nowadays and like friendships and boyfriend, girlfriend dating. You can see like, Oh, I can't date you yet because I need to work on myself and love myself first is where I see it the most. But if you you're never going to truly love yourself and you shouldn't because that's not what the gospel says and if the goal is to love everyone then why do you need to love yourself first mm. kind of what i thought about yeah it. amen i think that that's absolutely right the gospel so does, the gospel does not say that we need to love ourselves i mean never nowhere in it at all um i mean the greatest commandment is to love the lord our god with all of our heart mind soul and strength and nowhere are we in that? Then it's love our neighbors, right? So it's God first, then our neighbors, and then ourselves. You know, then we take care of ourselves. Um, so it, it really kind of feeds into this idea that we um, we are living sacrifice. We you know kind of die to ourselves and our desires. We serve God. We serve we serve our neighbors, and then we can you know really kind of quote self care and have time for ourselves. And of course, you know that's that's very broad. We all need to you know mental health. <laughs> personal health, all of those things we know that we have to take care of. Um, but I think that, as you guys said, this, this myth becomes one of those subtle things that um, really just starts shifting your focus away from the gospel and onto yourself. So overall, which myth do you think of those five do you think had the greatest impact um, on your life and your perspective of this? Myth three, you're perfect the way you are, definitely spoke the most to me. Because we have heard the saying so much that we feel like a failure. We tell ourselves, no, you're perfect the way you are. Mm. But in reality, we aren't perfect. And no one's perfect aside from Jesus. And so it's freeing to realize we aren't enough. But that's okay because Jesus was enough for us. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's so true. I think that myth four, you're entitled to your dreams because so many times our schedules are very busy and jam-packed that you like 
want to take the short way out, but in reality, you have to keep working and pushing through. Mm. Yeah, that's really insightful. Um, that's that's really cool that you took that from that. I know for me, it's definitely um, you're enough. I mean, as as someone who you know works and you know almost full time and um, you know raises kids and you know does this ministry. Um, it's definitely, I have this sort of complex of like, yes, I can be enough. I can be enough for my kids. I can be enough for my high school girls, you know, that I lead. I can be enough for um, all of my, you know, people at work and all of that. Um, so for me personally, as a mom, I know that lie, um, I it subtly, if not even very obviously, has kind of stuck in my head. So I think that really these five myths, not only are they true, I think Allie Beth's really kind of hit the nail on the head on these lies. But I think there's something that uh, everybody can relate to, and it's not going to be the same for everybody. So you girls, would you recommend this book for high school girls? I would 100% recommend this book to anyone who's struggled with insecurities or self-love. But I'm not sure if it's the best book to recommend to someone who has never heard the gospel first. Mm. But I think once that they've heard the gospel, that this is a great book for them to read. Yeah. Now, what would you think? Because I personally think that it's a great idea. Um, now, it just happens to be that my obviously 15 year old daughter was also in the same group. Um, so I think it's great that mothers and daughters, do you think it's something that as well that it's good for moms and daughters to go through together to kind of combat these lies? Yes, definitely, because moms have more wisdom than teen girls, definitely. And they could probably help guide more mm-hmm. along with what the book says. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I say yes, absolutely, because you're like, yes, moms have more wisdom. And I'm like, thanks, Brenna. <laughs> but I, I definitely, I think that, you know, we as adult women are falling prey to a lot of the stuff that you guys are as well, because we're all in the same culture. And so I think together as moms and daughters, this is a wonderful thing to do together is to read this book, kind of go through it. Even if your daughter doesn't want to read it, and you as a mom Uh, Maybe you're seeing some of these examples that we kind of talked about. I think it's a great idea for you to read it and then just ask some of those questions. Uh, Maybe bring up some of these myths to your high school daughters, maybe who are struggling with some insecurity, who maybe may be believing some of these lies. I think it's um, great. I would definitely recommend the book. And you can find the book, of course, anywhere, um, any major bookseller. So girls, thank you, Ashlyn, Brenna. I appreciate you so much. Um, for bravely coming on the podcast and sharing your valuable insight with us. I know you girls are very, very busy. We rescheduled this podcast several times and into your own admission, you know, life can get very packed with lots of activities. So thank you. I appreciate your time and your commitment to following Jesus. It is a beautiful witness. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today on the Brave Parenting Podcast. I'll be including a link to Allie Beth Stuckey's book as well as her podcast called Relatable in our show notes. Share this podcast with your friends, especially those who have teenage daughters, so they too can understand and combat the myths of the toxic self-love culture. Until next time, go and be brave.